Hello, hello, and welcome to The Fruitful Life with Andrea Thompson. Today I want to talk to you from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, where Jesus is teaching and preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I love this sermon. I'm equally convicted by this sermon um, because it's just such a beautiful display of God's heart. I think that sometimes, just like the Pharisees of Jesus's day, we can get so wrapped up in organized religion and an outward appearance of being righteous that we forget that the kingdom is the inner working of the heart. I have been sitting here looking at this and my attention has been drawn to the passage in Matthew 5 verse 43, where it's talking about loving your enemies. Now we know that Jesus over and over again was speaking to the crowd saying, you have heard this, but assuredly I say to you this. And this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 5, starting in verse 17, uh, where he said, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, speaking of the law. So that word fulfill means, in case you weren't aware, means to rightly interpret. So it's not that the law was fulfilled in the aspect of we no longer have to obey the commandments. I believe that that is a a belief system, a doctrine that is deceptional at best um, because we are absolutely to continue to obey the commandments. They're just in within a different vehicle of grace. Because everywhere in the New Testament, it says to love Jesus is to obey him. Um, it says that we are to walk as he walked. It says that we are to um, walk in the in the perfect will of God and so on and so forth, all pointing to the fact that we are to continue to live a life of righteousness. Um, the other difference, though, in the New Testament is that we are now placed positionally in the vehicle of being in Christ. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. But he came to fulfill the law. So to rightly interpret, he brought it back to the heart of the matter, to the spirit of the matter. Because at the end of the day, we know that people outwardly can seem righteous. And that is what he's showing them here in the entire sermon. But specifically today, let's focus on loving your enemies. Because I want to show you how easy it is for us to be deceived of our spiritual condition. But again, this is not a place to be condemned and go, oh, I'm not getting this right. There's so much here that we have to get right. But it's a matter of continuing to seek the face of God, continuing to be intimate with him, that we will begin to reflect his character and his nature and become vessels fit for honor um, or vessels of honor fit for the master's use in advancing the kingdom. So loving your enemies is a place that is a characteristic of God. And I'm going to show you that. So in verse 43, chapter five, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good 
and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the, t- the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your heavenly father, sorry, just as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, this little paragraph is just loaded. It's loaded, y'all, because I, I just want to point out to you that Jesus starts with saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this is the mindset that they had by misinterpreting the law. Because I I don't believe anywhere in the law did it actually say to hate your enemy. But they were misinterpreting things by way of the teachers of their day, completely missing the heart of God. Okay, but Jesus sets it right or fulfills it by saying, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, the word that is what it hangs on. So he's going to explain to us why we need to do all those things. And he says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Well, this is the way I wrestle with the word. I'm like, okay, but I'm already a son of my father in heaven. According to the Bible, by way of Jesus's sacrifice, I've become a son, a daughter of the living God. So what does this mean? Well, it says that you may be sons of your father in heaven is directly related to the last verse, which says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, our mindsets will be automatically drawn to that word perfect to say, oh, he's requiring of me perfection. Well, we know that can't possibly be true because in the Bible, all through the New Testament, we see that it's not possible to um, achieve moral perfection in this life in a fallen world. Now, we don't use that as an excuse or a license to sin, but no one is going to be perfect in the aspect of moral perfection on this side of eternity. Only Jesus was able to accomplish that. So we got to be careful not to put our modern day definitions upon things that we see in the Bible. We got to dig a little bit. So perfect here means complete. Our heavenly father is complete in all things. And so part of the maturing process as we grow in the knowledge of God and in his ways and become doers of the word is that we begin to reflect his character. Because again, the goal, the goal here is Christ likeness, not in external righteousness, but positioned in him being intimate with him, growing in the knowledge of him. And so we begin to reflect him from that. Okay. But in order to be complete, we have to actually be reflecting the character of God in places where our human nature, our sinful nature, the old man would actually do the opposite. Where the worldly way of doing things would be actually to hate your enemies, to curse them, to uh, get even, revenge, maybe talk about them, um, maybe pray from a place of God send fire down on them, um, you know, curse their finance, whatever you would say. Those are all worldly way of dealing with things and they are not the ways of God. So I want to point this out to you because I know that I have a deep desire in my heart 
again, to be so, so Christ-like, to carry the fragrance and the glory of Christ so much that I, I, I'm not, it's just the way I'm living that's changing people's lives, whether it's a seed sown that takes time to grow or whether they're radically changed. I, I want to be so Christ-like that, again, rivers of living water would flow forth from me. Why? Because the one who is living water is inside of me and has found a place to dwell and remain, right? And and I know many of you that listen to my podcast and sit under my teachings feel the exact same way as far as desire goes. But if I could just submit something to you today, this kind of thing is where that happens. Because when someone who is of the world, someone who is an unbeliever and or someone who is a believer who is unregenerated, meaning they're not walking the walk in the least, they still look like the world. Okay, whichever category they fall in, the way in which the trajectory of their lives begins to change by just your presence alone in the Jesus in you is when we walk and reflect the character of God in general, but specifically in ways that make no sense to the natural mind, to the carnal mind, to the worldly person, right? Because it's it's a supernatural thing. It's otherworldly to love your enemy, to bless those who curse you, to do good to someone who hates you, to pray fervently and with the right heart for someone who has persecuted you or used you and done you wrong. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God. That is how people go, oh, wait a second. How are you doing that? Or there's something different. They start to take notice. Do you know what I mean? There's something different. And that is where you get to shine your light. Jesus said we are salt and we are light. Right. This is the way we shine by doing these things that he gave us to do that don't come naturally to us. This is Christ likeness. And I want to show you because when I study the word, I meditate upon it by like asking questions. And so I think about it in this framework. I go, "Okay, God, if you're wanting us to know your ways and you're wanting us to grow in reflecting your character, like that means that you've done this, that this is who you are. So, so show me where in the word that this is, this is who you are. That, I mean, I know this is who you are, but show me in the word where I can grab a hold of that, that this is who you are. And I'm going to show you if you'll, if you'll turn with me to second Corinthians verse, um, sorry, chapter five, verse 10, it says for if when we were enemies, We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So let's not forget the knowledge of God's character that we were in fact enemies to the living God when he saved us. So that is absolutely a characteristic of God. That he loves his enemies. Now, listen, he's still just and righteous, and there is a point where his judgment has to have its way, but y'all, mercy triumphs over judgment, something serious, and God is absolutely long-suffering, so let's be careful not to think, not to fall in the deception of our self and our selfish ways and think that because someone has done us wrong, that, that not that God doesn't care because he absolutely does. He loves each and every one of his children, and he does care 
about when someone treats you poorly or when someone does you harm. Absolutely. But he also cares about that person who does you harm, that they would come to know him because the only reason that they could ever do you harm is because they don't know him. And I, I believe we've got to get to a place like that. I, I gave an example in my in one of my teachings on Facebook where I don't remember how this came across um, my, my social media, but it touched my heart so deeply. It was years ago, but it was a young lady whose father was a police officer and he was murdered uh, in the line of duty. And this young girl who she had to been like 17, maybe even 18 is at her father's funeral and it was so precious. She was like lip quivering and she goes, she's talking about her grief process and saying how much she misses her dad, you know, and, and she's like, I, I want to be angry at, at the guy who did this, you know, she says, but all I, and she starts crying. She's like, but all I can think is how, if I had a chance to actually meet this man, how I would tell him about the love of Jesus how I would want him more than anything. I want him to know Jesus because the only way that someone can do something like this is because they don't know him. And that is a perspective of a Christian, of a mature Christian who is reflecting the kingdom of God and the character of God. And y'all, this is not easy. It's not easy to do. And I just think we, we, we have to get a hold of these kinds of things. But the way we do that is by knowing our father, knowing his ways, knowing his character. That's how we keep ourselves anchored in reflecting him. Because again, it, this is all of us. If we're not careful, especially when it comes to hurt and harm, right? We will get so into that sorrow and into that pain that we'll start walking in ways that are not of God and we'll think that we'll almost make an idol by thinking that God agrees with us. Is God in the pain with us? Absolutely. Does God care about our pain? Yes. But God does not deal with hurt and harm in the way that we think he does. And that's biblical. Because again, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And Jesus hung on a cross that we put him on. And looked up in, into heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And y'all, if we could just put everything under the umbrella of they know not what they do. Because they can't. The only way we even begin to be convicted of bad behavior and hurting and harming people and all of this is by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not an excuse for anyone's poor behavior, but it is that at the end of the day, the only solution is Christ. And if we as Christians have received Christ. While we were enemies, we shouldn't we be doing the same? Shouldn't we be operating that way in the world? Because we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And because the knowledge of our father is that he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you pay attention, just about every parable of the kingdom as far as the way in which Jesus does things is that his, his MO right now is compassion and love. And I came to seek and to save, not to destroy. It's that heart. Yes. Yes. He's coming back in judgment and he's coming back with a fire in his eyes, right? And a sword and all these things. And there should be, be that in the vehicle of urgency, right? But right now he said, 
the kingdom of heaven is likened to a a net where he's casting his net far and wide and he's gathering everything under the sun that he can. And in the end, during harvest time, he will separate the good from the bad. There's many a parable that says things like that, that says that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We're fishing for all things right now. And it's not up to us to separate the good from the bad right now. That will happen at harvest regardless, just like the wheat and the tares. Let them grow together. And at harvest time, I will gather my wheat into my barn and I will get the tares out and send them into the fire. I'm realizing little by little that our heart posture should just be to walk as Jesus walked to love, yes, to speak the truth, but in the vehicle of grace and love, right? And to just gather them up, right? To draw them unto the kingdom of God, to the heart of God and let God do the rest as far as separation goes. Why? Because he reigns on the just and the unjust. In another gospel, it says he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. This is a hard thing for me to gather because I am passionate about God's truth and about the word. But I find myself acting like the sons of thunder sometimes where I'm like, Jesus, I'm so passionate and protective of Jesus that that I'm like, do you want us to rain down fire, call down fire on them, Jesus? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you don't know what spirit you're up in. I did not destroy this. I did not. And again, it just goes to show you how we can think we're so right, but we are so wrong. It feels so right to think we love Jesus so much that we want to fall down where someone rejects him. But it's not part of Jesus in this age. Until he comes, I know it's not because he said, you're, you're in it. You're missing it. Just like when Peter said to him, oh, no, not you, Lord, when he talked about going to the cross. I can imagine myself saying the same stupid thing because I love him so much. No, not you. Never should that happen to you, Jesus. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not aware of the things of God. You're speaking the things of man. And I'm just saying, guys, it's so, so easy to be deceived about our spiritual condition. But I love this because then he says, and Jesus says this often for if you, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Meaning, what are you really doing? That's easy for you to love those who love you. And you should do so. But where do you see the kingdom in that? And I mean that in the aspect of, guys, the way in which we show the kingdom, the way in which we are salt and light is in areas where there's normally darkness that we spread light. Now, I'm not saying that loving people who love you counts for nothing because love is love and it does count for something. But what I am saying is there's a reason why Jesus introduced the kingdom in this way by giving these sermons and saying, listen, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have for even the tax collectors, which is representative of sinners, representative of those who don't know Christ, those who are in the world, even they can do that. With ease, they don't have to know Christ to love those who love them. So what separation do we have as believers in Christ to show that we belong to a kingdom that cannot be seen? To show that we have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because we have been positioned in him, we are now walking according 
to what he has instructed us to. How do we show that right here? We do the very opposite of what our sinful nature would have us to do in response to things like hurt and harm. So that we can be perfect just as our heavenly father is perfect. So there it is that we reflect the nature of God. I want to take you back to second Corinthians 10 verse five. So this says for though in verse three, starting in verse three, it says for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I think so many times now, listen, I I'm thankful to know about spiritual warfare and all these things, but something else that I've learned now that I've kind of come back to a balanced place of learning way too much about the darkness and there's place for that. But I, now that I've come back to a balanced place, I really don't believe at all that what Paul is talking to us about here is demons. Now I do guys, I I've, I've cast demons out. I've had demons cast out of me. So I, I very much believe in the existence of demons and their assignments from hell on us and all of these things. But I do believe that a, a thinking that's surrounded around demons can very much be futile meaning there's no life source in it. And I don't believe it breeds the life of Christ. I just don't, because I don't see anywhere in the New Testament that Jesus's focus was on demons. Now, I do believe when demons manifested or whatever, you know, he cast them out, hallelujah. And he did say that a part of the signs uh, that follow those who believe is that they will cast out demons. So I do believe deliverance is a part of what belongs to us in demonstrating the power of the kingdom. But... I believe that it has its place and we should not at all bring it to the forefront because the warfare guys that we're truly dealing with is that which is warring against the knowledge of God. And honestly, the knowledge of darkness and that overtaking can be one of the things that we have to cast down because it's exalting itself above the knowledge of God. And the way in which we grow in spiritual maturity is to actually grow in the knowledge of God to be fruitful in the knowledge of God. And so I believe that as we're growing in the knowledge of his character and his ways and all these things, that along that path, many things are going to pop up to exalt themselves against that knowledge, specifically in places like this, where hurt and offense and pain, and sorrow, and all these things come in, I believe right then and there, you get something that exalts itself. And I believe it's self. I believe it can be self-preservation. It can be um, unforgiveness. It can be malice, offense. All of these things will exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But Paul has just instructed us to use the weapons that are mighty in God for the pulling down of those things. So in those moments where we have somebody that has placed themselves in the realm of our enemy, again, whether it's they used us, they persecuted us, they hurt us, whatever it is, right? In the realm of that, right then and there, something is going to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, against his ways, against the, the things that he instructed us to do with that. 
And so I'm just telling you, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in the here and now through the obedience to his word, right? And so I believe in these moments, if we will sow into the spirit, if we will walk in his ways, that that thing that's exalting itself will come down and there you will find the kingdom that cannot be seen. And I do believe that when that happens, whether you realize it or not, because the kingdom is a hidden work, you are affecting for the kingdom everything around you. That's when the kingdom begins to be made manifest and things that you touch. That's why testimony is so powerful. Because, you know, in walking this out, you might just be talking to somebody and you're saying the things that you're walking out and you're planting, you're sowing a seed of the kingdom that's going to be having its way, whether you physically see it or you don't. Do you see what I'm saying? How this is the way the kingdom works. It's it's a mustard seed. Jesus likened it to a mustard seed because he's like, it's a small, seemingly insignificant thing to start off with. But when it is sown and when it finds a place to take root, hallelujah, it takes over and grows into this humongous thing and grows rapidly at that. So I'm just saying, let's stop looking at the bigger things, which are good and have their place, like the demonstration of the kingdom and the signs and wonders and all of that. They have their place. Praise the Lord. And let's start becoming a people who in these areas that are really hard for us to crucify our flesh and to remove, to die to self, as Jesus said, deny yourself, right? Deny our rights to be offended and whatever else and, and, and walk in his ways and sow the kingdom into that thing and watch, watch how it changes everything around you and how it starts to give off the fragrance of Christ to those who are perishing. I just believe this is one very small but significant example of how the kingdom works. Now, the one thing that I want to mention before we go is that the the vehicle of perfection, you know, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ made us perfect already. We, he said, it said he is sanctifying those who have been made perfect. So positionally, we've already been made perfect. And by knowing and understanding that beautiful position that we did nothing to earn, we begin to walk accordingly to that perfection, which means, again, that we reflect our Heavenly Father. And we go from glory to glory in doing that. So I want you to hear this word today as a sowing a seed of the kingdom into your life. And I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you any place in your life that you can begin to walk this out and that you would deny yourself. You would crucify your flesh and you would sow the kingdom, causing anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and walking in obedience to his ways to come down, to come down. And in that place that you would grow in maturity so that you can be fruitful in every good work. Bless you guys.